Welcome to the Hoosier Ag Today Thursday morning podcast. It's the 8th of February, 2024. I'm Andy Eubank, and coming up today, C.J. Miller on the news, including what makes duck production work in Indiana, and an introduction to the new NCBA president. The Hat Podcast is made possible by First Farmers Bank and Trust. Experience banking built on heart, grit, and agriculture. FFBT.com to learn more and stop by your local branch. Chief Meteorologist Ryan Martin is here. He says more above normal temperatures, but the cold front is coming. And the Wednesday corn and soybean markets were lower ahead of today's USDA supply and demand update. We have settlements and Tom Fritz analysis on the Hoosier Ag Today Thursday podcast. At First Farmers Bank and Trust, we know that when agriculture thrives, we all do. It's the heart and grit of our agricultural communities that keep the crops coming in and the livestock cared for day and night. That's why we build financial solutions around the needs and schedules of our ag clients. If you're looking for a financial partner that has over 135 years experience in understanding and supporting agriculture, we want to hear from you. Let's harvest success together. First Farmers Bank and Trust, member FDIC, equal opportunity lender. From seed, grain, and feed companies to crop protection, farm implements, and technology, agribusiness is all around us here in Indiana. I'm Bruce Kettler, President and CEO of the Agribusiness Council of Indiana. At ACI, our sole focus is on the needs of our members. We advocate, educate, inform, and we invite you to join us in our mission. Visit our website, inagribiz.org, to become a member. That's inagribiz.org. The Agribusiness Council of Indiana, strengthening and connecting Indiana agribusiness. How Maple Leaf Farms contributes to Indiana's number one ranking for duck production and meet the new president of the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. I'm C.J. Miller, and this is Hoosier Ag Today. When it comes to Indiana agriculture, you might think of corn, soybeans, wheat, pork, beef, and dairy. But did you know that Indiana is number one in the U.S. for duck production? And that's because the state is known for a number of different commercial duck farms, including Maple Leaf Farms in Kosciuszko County. Scott Tucker is the CEO of Maple Leaf Farms, and he says one of the reasons Indiana is the top spot for duck production is due to Indiana's corn and soybean producers who provide the grains that become high-quality feed for Maple Leaf's ducks. We're so grateful for their efficiency, their abilities to produce the tremendous amount of grains uh, and oil seeds that we need to be successful because we put great pride into looking at testing and ensuring the quality of those feed ingredients because we ultimately know that, if you will, what goes into that duck is what you as a consumer ultimately experience from a quality and taste perspective. So very, very important. We're very appreciative of, of Hoosier Farmers for that. Scott says that many of the products from Maple Leaf Farms are shipped overseas to Asian markets. In China alone, they consume 4 billion ducks a year. Knowing that, we knew we had opportunities for export to a number of those Asian markets, Japan, Korea, China in particular. And we continue to do business with those uh, countries, whether it's the actual whole or, or certain parts 
but also the, the byproducts, which are a much more affordable protein source for those countries. And speaking of the duck byproducts, Zach Tucker, who's the Director of Sustainability and Corporate Social Responsibility with Maple Leaf Farms, says that the duck's feathers also provide revenue for the company. We have uh, several subsidiaries, uh, Eurasia Feather Co. and Down Incorporated up in Grand Rapids, Michigan, who are a high-end down product producers, so pillows, down comforters, you name it in that regard, as well as uh, brokering of, of feathers from all over the world. Uh, it's a really great opportunity to provide this great product that helps people sleep at the end of the day, right, and, and provides warmth. Read more about Maple Leaf Farms and hear more of my conversation with Scott and Zach Tucker at HoosierAgToday.com. Well, the National Cattlemen's Beef Association has a new president. Sabrina Halverson has more on his priorities for the organization. Wyoming rancher Mark Isley was handed the gavel during the 2024 Cattle Industry Convention held last week in Orlando, Florida. Isley says his focus during his time as president is to advocate for opportunities to strengthen the industry for future generations. Very few farmers and ranchers in it anymore. They can kind of do what they want to do, and it doesn't seem to matter because there's not enough of us in rural America to outvote that. But we're so critical. Everybody wants to be well-fed. Well, that's what it takes to be well-fed. You've got to keep these ranches and farms in transition. You have to be able to go to the next generation. You have to keep them viable. The death tax, I wonder how many ranches and farms have paid for themselves over and over and over again through no fault of their own other than the government wanting tax money. He encourages other farmers and ranchers not to put off making their succession plans and says he's glad his family was prepared. My predecessor passed away seven days into the new year when the t- uh, in 2011 when that tax rate went from 0% to 55%. We had to come up with 55% of the value of the ranch to keep it, just to keep it. Fortunately, we had been working on an estate plan for 10 years, and we had a backup plan. We were able to pull that tax bill down. It was reasonable. We didn't have to sell anything. I encourage people to do this. You have to figure out a plan to make that work. Other priorities for Isley include producers' freedom to operate, protecting property rights, and reinforcing the cattle industry's position as an ally in preserving open spaces and wildlife habitat through managed grazing practices. But the top of his list, the Farm Bill. We've got to wrap up this Farm Bill. We've got to get some certainty in the Farm Bill. Also important, he says, a vaccine bank for animal agriculture, protecting checkoffs, and educating the public about cell-cultured meat. Isley will serve as president until next year's cattle industry convention. I'm Sabrina Halverson. And I'm C.J. Miller. Who's your ag today? Indiana's Farm Network. Farm Credit America believes that your crop insurance should be maximized to address what's important to you. With their data-optimized decision tool, you can build a policy custom-fit to your operation's goals. Using your past production data, their tool, which they have exclusive access to in their territory, maps out future events, helping you choose the perfect policy type, coverage level, and options for you, all guided by their crop insurance agents. To learn more, visit fcma.com slash crop dash insurance. Farm Credit Mid-America is an equal opportunity provider. The High Ground Podcast. Everything from energy and fuel. It's a Memorial Day weekend, going to be 87 to 89, maybe low 90s all weekend. So we thought we'd bring Scott Heine in. So we'll talk about home heat. <laughs> <laughs> to agriculture. Anytime we can help a farmer grow their business and meet their goals, that's a proud moment for me. And, well, other things. For some reason, like and subscribe. We don't know why, but that's important. We want you to do it on your own, but we're going to tell you. <laughs> Listen now on all platforms.
I'm Chief Meteorologist Ryan Martin with Hoosier Act Today's Indiana Farm Forecast. We've got changes coming to the weather pattern. They're not changes that we haven't been talking about. We've been well advertising the end of the mild air this week, but the days are becoming closer and closer to us realizing that weather pattern change. Today, still mild. Thing is, we see clouds building today, and that's because there's going to be a little bit of moisture that tries to come through from tonight into tomorrow. Scattered light rain shower activity for your Thursday night and Friday. At this point, it doesn't look all that impressive. A few hundreds to a tenth or two, that is all. But there will be some moisture around for sure. And it's looking at like a 60% coverage event here. Going through Friday, we don't see temperatures fall off right away. As a matter of fact, we probably stay pretty doggone mild through most of your Friday. Secondary surge of moisture comes out of Illinois and areas to the west overnight tomorrow night into early Saturday morning. Could see another few hundreds to a tenth or two. Coverage will be about 40% there. But what this is doing is this is coming and dragging the actual cold front through. So we are much cooler for Saturday. Temperatures are pulling back through the daytime hours. And then we're chilly overnight Saturday night and Sunday. Temperatures really close to where they should be for mid-February. It's not that big of a deal. Massive area of precipitation to our south as we finish out the weekend and go into next week across the deep south. A little bit of that maybe tries to move across the Ohio Valley Monday afternoon, Monday evening. So if you're in the southern third of the state, keep an eye out for a few rounds of precipitation. I think rain, wet snow, both are possible, but it's not a big deal. Cool temperatures then sit for the rest of Tuesday and Wednesday. Thursday, a clipper system comes through, gives us a chance for some wet snowflakes across the Hoosier State. Accumulations are possible, but I'm not going to really talk about them in a big way yet. I do think, though, that clipper system opens the door to a blast of very cold Canadian air. Might even be a little bit of an Arctic component in here. So this is where we could see a push to below normal temperatures for at least a couple days. Thursday night, Friday, Saturday of next week. So once again... It is February. We got spoiled with this warm air surge. Cold air is going to try and make a comeback here. I'm meteorologist Ryan Martin. Corn and beans lower and the wheat market gains a little ground. This is Hoosier Ag Today. I'm Andy Eubank with the Wednesday Farm Market Review. I'll have settlements from the end of trade coming up. We begin, though, with market analysis right before the USDA's February supply and demand update coming on Thursday. For that analysis, I checked in at the end of trade with Tom Fritz of EFG Group. Tom, a pretty weak soybean picture on Wednesday after a couple of decent days to start the week. So might we read into that that the trade is possibly expecting some bearish supply and demand news on Thursday from USDA? Well, you know, Andy, I'm not sure if they're expecting bearish news as they're not expecting bullish news. So with that said, you know, okay, you know, people are anticipating a lower soybean number from uh, Brazil, um, maybe a slightly higher soybean number from Argentina. But, uh, you know, the, uh, the news will start out very early in the morning when Conab comes out with their numbers uh, for soybean production and uh, corn production. And uh, this will also be, uh, speaking of uh, Brazilian corn production, this will be the first, I call it legitimate look, that Conab does for their second season corn crop. Uh, normally, uh, they don't do much speculation with the second season corn crop until uh, planting has started, and uh, planting a second season corn crop is now underway. But, uh, you know, the soybean market, uh, yeah, it takes it on the chin. Um, 
soybean meal is uh, has become a weight around the soybean market's neck. Um, you know, I've always said soybean meal is the deal. You've got a 60-pound bushel. Uh, what, 44, 45 pounds is meal. Uh, you get 11 pounds of uh, soybean oil. And, uh, you know, the remainder is just junk. But uh, still, when you have a percentage like that of the uh, 60-pound soybean bushel, uh, when it's going down, <laughs> soybeans will be major struggle uh, to stay alive. And so I think that weighs on the soybean market. And uh, the attitude is there that, uh, you know, most people continue to talk about a, uh, you know, pretty decent uh, Argentine crop developing, even though we're still a few months away. Um, but, uh, you know, I get the impression that, okay, you know, everybody in their neighbor is reducing the Brazilian crop, yet it hasn't given us any kind of a rally. So that suggests to me that, okay, we're downgrading the Brazilian crop, but it's still too many beans. You know, look at the price structure. You know, you've got carrying the price structure within the old crop, and that's not friendly. You know, that says we've got, uh, we're still looking at an imbalance of, uh, you know, too much supply and not enough demand. And unfortunately, everybody hangs their hat on uh, China. Okay. And, uh, you know, unless you've got your head in the sand, uh, China's got some, you know, appears to be major economic problems. I know their crush margins haven't been very good, but it comes down to this. Brazilian soybeans uh, delivered in March for China. The basis is 18 over the March. Now, that's a, uh, that's a 20 cent uh, improvement over the last few days. So you'd think, okay, that's supportive. Well, U.S. Gulf soybeans to China for March delivery are 225 over the March. So, okay, you've got 18 over the March versus $2.25 over the March. Where are you going to, you know, whose beans are you going to buy? So I think, uh, you know, that's uh, the major reason why, uh, you know, U.S. soybeans get uh, shut out. And uh, like I said, the meal market idea is that, uh, you know, the uh, U.S. crush is getting back on track from uh, the disruptions we saw in January. And I'm starting to see some cash meal prices soften. So, uh, you know, I've always said meal's the deal. And uh, unfortunately, in this case, it meal's the deal on the downside. Uh, corn market, once again, look at the price structure. Look at the carry in old crop corn. Uh, that's not friendly. Um, you know, people aren't expecting, uh, you know, major changes to the uh, supply demand in corn. In fact, uh, I'm a little bit surprised the smart guys are thinking uh, the carry out might come down a little bit. But, uh you know, so, but it's still bottom line. You've got a uh, corn carry out that's over 2 billion bushels. It's probably over 2.1 billion bushels. You're not going anywhere with a uh, carry out that size. And, uh, you know, people say, well, the spec is so short. You know, we've got to have some short covering. Well, what's out there to prompt the short covering? And unfortunately, uh, the U.S. producer is the biggest long in the market. And uh, I'm not seeing them sell very much. So, you know, that uh, in turn acts as a weight around the market's neck. So, you know, the corn market, uh, you know, continues to grind lower. You know, here today we saw new contract lows in old crop corn, uh, new contract low closes. That's not bullish. So here you've got a fundamental rationale for corn that's bearish. You've got a technical rationale for corn that's not bullish. So where are you going to go? You know, we're going to go try to find some demand, and the only way you do that is with lower prices.
wheat market, the wheat market's going nowhere. You know, it was higher today, but, uh, you know, intermarket spreading. Buying wheat, selling corn, buying wheat, selling soybeans. Uh, you look at the uh, makeup of uh, the wheat market as far as its supply and demand goes. Uh, we're looking for minimal, if any, changes, whether it's in the world or whether it's in the U.S. So go look at a uh, wheat chart. It's gone nowhere. So you can say, well, we're going to follow uh, European prices, which we do. Uh, but European prices have been depressed. Uh, U.S. wheat prices, well, we have a hard time holding, uh, you know, attempts to rally, so we stay in this trading range. Well, okay, here you've got a trading range market versus a market that's grinding lower, whether it be corn or soybeans. So you've got this report coming in uh, tomorrow, and uh, so people are, uh, you know, they're, okay, let's be long wheat, short corn. Let's be long wheat, short beans. I don't think they're going to make any money being long wheat. But the attitude is they're going to make it on the short side of those intermarket spreads. So, But uh, bottom line, tomorrow we've got a plethora of data coming at us. Uh, first off will be uh, Conab. Uh, I think he is uh, he's either at 6 in the morning or 7 in the morning central time. Uh, following up with that, then we get Statistics Canada with their uh, December 31st grain stocks. And then at 11 a.m. Uh, my time, 12 uh, p.m. your time, uh, we're going to get the USDA. So, um, you know, I think that uh, explains some of the whipsaw action we saw today. You know, they leaned on it pretty hard early. Then you saw a uh, short covering rally, uh, but the short covering rally really didn't last. So, but, uh, you know, I think you saw a fair amount of position squaring. So, but the bottom line is, oh, and I forgot, you've got weekly export sales tomorrow. So we've got a, a ton of data coming at us. And, uh, you know, as far as I'm concerned, you know, the volatility in the grain markets have been coming down. Well, today they, uh, that volatility spiked up a little bit just because of all the data that's coming to us uh, tomorrow. Tom Fritz, EFG Group in Chicago. Now the settlements from Wednesday trade down four and a half cents for March corn, 434 and a quarter. May contract goes to 446 and a half, losing four cents. July down an even nickel, 455 and a half. March beans a dime and a half lower, 1189. And May back down below $12 at 1197 and a half, settling a dime and three quarters lower. Wheat did pop a little higher, March going to 602, seven cents up. Meat markets down. April live cattle, 184.80, down 127. And April lean hogs, 81.10, losing just 15 cents. I'm Andy Eubank with the Wednesday Market Review. This is Who's Your Ag Today. Timely, relevant, credible.